morning. I trust you had a great night's sleep. Trust you're ready for a great day today in the Word of God. Amen? Take your Bibles and join me, please, in Psalm 145. After we're done here this morning, we're going to have some God night time. I love opening the Psalms and examining who God is and what God has done, what God has promised to do. Adoration, exaltation, praise, thanksgiving, and worship should be part of the fiber of our being. Matter of fact, one of the principles that we have been learning and teaching about prayer is our prayer should involve what my friend Harold Vaughn calls the protocol of thanksgiving and the protocol of praise. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he has done, what he is doing, or what he has promised to do. Praise is magnifying and exalting him for who he is. I want to focus this morning on us understanding from this psalm who God is. Tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we'll look a little bit about what God has done. Encourage us in those things. But adoration really is intense admiration that culminates in reverence and worship. You know, there ought to be an intensity to our admiration, our adoration of God. You know, we, many of us raised our hands last night that we've been saved a number of years. And sometimes with that grows a complacency, an indifference. You know, sometimes in marriage, we just sort of get used to each other. We take things for granted. My wife spent five weeks this summer in Oklahoma caring for her father, who's 92. And uh, we didn't think he would live through that. And the Lord raised him up. Praise the Lord for that. But she spent five weeks. And so I spent five weeks as a bachelor. I hate it. You know, and, and I would call my wife every day and sometimes multiple times every day and just tell her how much I appreciated things that she does that I sometimes take for granted. Sometimes we get that way in our relationship with God. This adoration is a step of intense admiration. The word exaltation means to lift high or to magnify, extol is a word you'll read sometimes in the Psalms that David uses for this concept. Praise, the expression of admiration or adoration. It means to bring honor and glory to the one who deserves it. Thanksgiving, expression of gratitude. And isn't that missing so much in our culture today? hold the door for somebody and they don't stop and say thank you I want to holler you're welcome 
My mother taught me better than that, and so I don't do that most of the time. Worship. You know, worship really is the response of our hearts to God for who He is and what He does in our lives. And so we begin this morning with that one word, God. What comes to your mind when you see that word? What is God like? How could we describe the immensity of God to a child or to an unsaved neighbor, unsaved spouse? Can we know him? You know, this idea of trying to describe God is a challenge for us, right? The, the immensity that we understand uh, about him. But I'll, uh, allow me this morning to, to share with you a, a quote I read by, uh, I read this preacher who said, this question, what is God like, is not just a question of childish curiosity. It is the single most important question of our lives. You say, why is that so? Because how we see God determines everything else about us. If we have a big view of God, the challenges of life are small in comparison to God. Now, I'm not diminishing any of the trials or any of the, the circumstances or any of the challenges of life. But what I'm saying is when we put them in perspective, we have a big view of God, it helps us to navigate those challenges. When we have a little view of God, life can be overwhelming, distressing. We have a great concept of God. It helps us to navigate everything in life. Jeremiah the prophet said it this way, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. God delights in our pursuit of knowing him. And I'm not talking about just knowing about him. I'm talking about knowing him. You know, there, there are things that we, there are people that we can know a lot about that we don't really know. Some of y'all watched the Braves last night I grew up a Braves fan they moved from Milwaukee between 65 and 66 we lived in Charlotte at that time Charlotte North Carolina had a transistor radio and I listened in almost every night 7:50 a.m. radio to the Braves play we moved to Atlanta in the mid 70s I got a chance to see Hank Aaron and Rico Cardi and Daryl Evans and Davey Johnson and Felix Mion and Phil Necro and that whole group of Braves. 
I remember Hank Aaron into the 1973 season hitting 713 home runs. And for those of you who are not baseball fans, Babe Ruth had set the record at 714. Between 1973 and 74, Hank Aaron got death threats. If he broke Ruth's record, he would be killed. So this weighed on him the entire summer. They opened the 1974 season, as he did often in those days, in Cincinnati. April the 4th, 1974, they were playing the big red machine. Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Concepcion, those guys. I was in Spanish class. They always started at noon. They were the first game every year. Sitting in Spanish class, and my mother was the school secretary. And she interrupted Spanish class. And she said, Mr. Hughes, I need to tell Tom something very important. <laughs> Hank Aaron just hit 714. <laughs> of course, I went crazy. I, I was a huge Aaron fan. Well, they didn't play on Friday. They sat him Saturday and Sunday because they were coming back to Atlanta. And on April the 8th, 1974, the Dodgers came to town. Al Downing is pitching, and the first time up, Aaron hit a deep fly. Of course, all the stands are, are standing and screaming, and it stayed in the park. Second time up, Downing said, here it is. Hit it. And he did. And he hit number 715 and broke Ruth's record. Ended up with 755 home runs. Still holds the record for the most RBIs in baseball, et cetera. Batted 302 for his lifetime. I could tell you all those statistics back in those days. I knew a lot about Hank Aaron, but I had never met Hank Aaron personally. Because I can't tell you that I know, I, that I knew Hank Aaron. I knew a lot about him. I read everything I could about him. And sometimes we have people sitting in our churches who know a lot about God, but don't have that personal dynamic, vibrant relationship with God. What we're talking about this morning, what I want, to, want you to see from this chapter this morning is truth of growing to know God himself. The psalmist in Psalm 4610, God said to David, be still and know that I am God. You know, one of the greatest hindrances to us truly knowing God is we have trouble being still now, as we get a little older, sometimes that is a little easier. Of course, the problem then is staying awake while we're staying still. <laughs> Paul said his primary pursuit was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. And the apostle Paul is writing and he says, I have not yet attained. I'm still pressing for the mark. May I say to all of us, none of us has attained, right? We need to understand that going in. This is a pursuit that we need to be uh, after every single day of our life, as long as God gives us breath. And one of the best ways to do that is come to the Psalms for an understanding of who God is. And I invite you this morning to meet here in Psalm 145, our 
mighty God. If you have your notes there, we're going to look at some of these truths this morning. You know, Prophet Hosea said, it is because of a lack of knowledge of God that my people are destroyed. One of the greatest problems we have in the church of Jesus Christ today is a lack of knowledge of God. We are not basing our lives on the Bible. For too often we're basing our lives on the opinion of men or, or so-and-so said, or, or sometimes we have a worldview that is based on what our parents taught us or what our church taught us or what so-and-so said and not the lens of Scripture. We just started a series entitled Thinking Biblically in a Post-Christian Culture. Do you understand we live in a post-Christian culture? The only potential positive is one of my evangelist friends said to me last week, well, maybe we're in a pre-Christian culture because maybe God's going to send revival. And that's my prayer that God would. But I think we need to acknowledge that Romans chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 adequately describe the culture in which we live. God's solution is the gospel. The, the vehicle through which that is communicated today is the church. And so we would say that the answer, God's solution, is the gospel in the church. But if we don't know God, we don't get excited about God, and we don't communicate with others about who God is. Any of us who are grandparents, we would never hesitate to tell you all about our grandkids. Matter of fact, somebody said grandchildren are God's reward for you not killing your children. We go to visit our children to see the grandchildren now. I love my kids, but I really love my grandkids. <laughs> Let's get into the Word this morning. There's so much in this chapter. I heard about a preacher who got up and said, I've got so much on my heart this morning, I don't know where to start. A little boy near the back of the room said, how about starting near the end? This is David's psalm of praise. This is one of the pinnacle psalms. I'm not going to read all 21 verses. We're, we're going to look at this during God and I time. I want to whet your appetite now to spend some time digging more during the God and I time. Follow along, please, with me. Psalm 145, verse 1. David says, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy, good, of thy great goodness, and, sing, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all 
and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. There are five aspects in this chapter about our mighty God. We're not going to get to all of them this morning, but let me just give them to you. Our God is wonderful in his might because of his greatness, because of his goodness, because of his glory, because of his government, and because of his grace. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us, remind us, encourage us about our mighty God this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice, first of all, with me this morning, God is mighty because of his greatness. Let me just back that up. I'm sorry, I went too fast. I went in and put the outline up here because I want you to be able to get it, really not because it's my outline, but just because I want to whet your appetite to study this scripture. David talks about the thoroughness of his praise. Look at verses 1 and 2. I will extol thee. He's thorough because there is a personal relationship that he has with God. He is my God. And as we go to Scripture to worship him, I learned this again right here at the Wilds, we need to ask the question, God is my, and fill in the blank. If you were to look at my Bible this morning, you would see that the margin of my Bible is filled with comments about God is my. My psalm for this morning was Psalm 147. And as I, as I read through that, it just, God is my healer, God is my creator, God is my great one, God is my source of song, God is my provider, God is my personal God, and on and on and on. Do you have a personal relationship with him? David said, I'm thankful for that personal relationship and the God who, who is my king. He speaks of God's sovereign rule in his life there. It's my God. David, when do you want to praise God? Every day will I praise thee or bless thee. I will praise thy name. How long? Forever and ever. Do you realize what we're going to be doing for all eternity? We're going to be praising God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We get to sing the song of redemption also. The angels sing about the magnificence of God's creation, but we get to sing about his redemption. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to sing that. But David said, I want to get in practice right here on earth. Right? We ought to be people that are filled with praise. Again, my friend Harold Vaughn says, when you don't feel like saying thank you, say thank you. When you feel like saying thank you, say thank you. Matter of fact, he says, when you get up and you don't really feel like it, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He said, after a while, you'll start meaning it. So often we focus more on our troubles than on our blessings. But he reminds us we should praise God not only for our blessings, but we should praise God for our challenges as well. It's at those times that God chisels away that which is not like Christ and conforms us more to the image of his son. This book on suffering, I'm excited to, to get a copy and, and read it by Dr. Tripp there. 
it's often in the valley that God does great things. We all rejoice in the mountaintop, right? But it's in the valley that we're drawn closer to him. It's in the valley that we see that he loves us. When we think things are good, and even when we think things are challenging. If I'd never had a problem, would the songwriter say? I wouldn't know that God could solve them. So I thank him for the valley. David says there's a personal relationship. He has a permanent rule over me, and I'm going to be thorough in my praise. But notice a theme. I love this part here. And again, we're just running through here this morning. But look at verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. David is talking about the great I am. David is talking about the one who met Moses at the burning bush and told him to take his shoes off. He was standing on holy ground. And David says, that God is my God. That self-existent one is my God. That covenant-keeping one is my God. And again, so often, so many of us who grow up in Christian homes or grow up in the church hear things and we say, yes, God is holy and God is righteous and God is judge or just and God is my refuge and God is my strength and God is long-suffering and God is patient. And we can rehearse all of those things, but we haven't allowed it to become personal. I want to challenge you. And again, I was challenged by this. I, I want to say, and, and I'll probably be corrected if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Ken Collier who was challenged by Marty Collier to challenge all of us to begin to write a personal biography of God. I believe in the bookstore, Marty's book is there. It's a devotional book. My wife has taught that in Ladies Bible Study. But I began doing this many years ago. And I can't tell you adequately how much it has helped me. 1990 was a year we call the growth year in the Olvis family. We had not really experienced much death. I still had three great-grandparents living. One of my great-grandfathers died when I was in fifth grade. I preached the other three funerals of my great-grandparents the funerals of all four of my grandparents. But in 1990, our fourth child was born. She had trisomy 13, extra 13th chromosome in every cell of her body. She had a midline deformity. She had a hole in her heart. She had eye sockets, but no eyes. She had one nose hole. All of her internal organs formed on the outside, like a cellophane wrap around I was pastoring in Maryland, and they brought people from Johns Hopkins to the Niki unit, put her on a trach, brought all the specialists in to try to see if there's anything they could do. And the Lord allowed us to love on her for 25 hours. And then we had to turn her loose. One of the hardest things we'd ever had to do. That was in January of 90. In June of 90, my dad, who was 48, went to be with the Lord. 
My dad was a godly businessman who said all of, uh, that God called all of his kids into the ministry and called him to pay for it. <laughs> I was 30 years old. My dad had gotten sick in, late in 87. The Lord allowed us to have some time with him before he went to be with the Lord. But that was in June. In July, my granddaddy went to be with the Lord, my dad's dad. In October, my childhood pastor, Dr. Jack Hudson, went to be with the Lord. We had seven other deaths in our church, small church I was pastoring in Maryland. And God taught us about his comfort. God taught us that he was indeed our refuge and our strength and our very present help in time of trouble. About six weeks after Charity went to be with the Lord, I got a phone call. Nurse from the hospital said, would you come and speak to a room of doctors and nurses about grief? I said, do you know what I'm going to say? She said, I think I do. And we got to go share the grace of God with over 600 doctors and nurses in that room. I was pastoring in California years later, and I got a phone call about 4 o'clock in the morning. Voice on the other end, this lady said, are you Pastor Alvis? And I said, yes. And she said, did you used to pastor in Maryland? I said, yes. She said, did you have a baby with trisomy 13? I said, yes. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, get to the point. <laughs> she said, my wife and I, my husband and I, they're in New York. Just had a baby with trisomy 13. Can you help us? was able to share Christ with them. My wife got on the phone and talked to the wife. About a month later, I was walking in the park in Santa Maria, California. Young couple sitting on the bench just weeping. Holy Spirit of God said, you need to go talk to them. I went over and said, can I help you? This young couple had just had a baby that just died within hours with trisomy 13. God was preparing us to be able to be a comfort to someone else because of the comfort wherewith he comforted us. Psalm 66 became very real to us during that year. Psalm 66 says we've been through the fire, we've been through the storm. But God brought us out and he set us in a wealthy place. The Hebrew there is a moist, prosperous place. And then he says a couple of verses later, all you who have ears, come here. It's almost like friends, Romans, and countrymen. Come here. And he, David says, and I will declare what God hath done for my soul. That's what a personal relationship with God that I'm talking about means. And I'm sure if we gave opportunity, every single one of you could give testimony of times where God has drawn you near and he's taught you some valuable, valuable lessons I, what I'm trying to encourage you is we need to make sure that we are people of the book. We're people who know God, understand his person, understand his power, understand his purpose, understand his providence. I love his words in verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. You know, we have a responsibility to help the next generation in their pursuit of knowing God. The next generation, our children, our grandchildren, are exposed to so many things. 
at least in so many ways, that we were not exposed to them. Sin's always been sin. All right, sin's always been around. But we, in our teen years, we couldn't just pick up a cell phone and find whatever we wanted. We couldn't just go on the computer and find whatever we wanted. We weren't bombarded with those things, and, and the, the, the media was not where it is today. You know, you can't even watch Hallmark without the filth of ungodliness. I'm glad to get rid of Hallmark anyway, just for the record. Those Christmas movies just tear me up. <laughs> I can tell you what's going to happen in every one of them. Within the first five minutes. And yet my wife's DVR is full of them. And now they start in July. But the power of God to create an Adam. What a mighty act. The power of God to create a galaxy. What a mighty act. One of the things I love about living in the country, there are no street lights. I can walk out at night, early in the morning, and look up and just the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. There are many mornings early that I just go out and just sit and just praise God, just listen as his creation starts to, open, uh, starts to wake up. I've got bird feeders in my front and watching the different birds come in and listening to the squirrels as they begin to, to chirp and wake up and watch as I mentioned last night the skunk come waddling in the in the yard our creator God desires a personal relationship with you and me he invites us to know him and we can't know everything there is about him it's what makes him infinite right my brother says the problem we have is we try to take an infinite God and understand him with our finite minds. God doesn't fit in the box, right? But he has revealed himself in his creation, in his son, and in his word. And there is plenty there to consume our time for a lifetime of getting to know him. And then we're going to, need to spend all eternity praising Him and spending more time uh, with Him. In verse 5, we see the majesty of His purpose. I will speak of the glorious honor of Thy majesty and of Thy wondrous works. I imagine David had in mind some times that God had intervened in the history of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them across the Red Sea. He provided for them in the wilderness. They go into the promised land and God conquered the promised land for them. Amen. We realize that, don't we? You know, Joshua understands that. Caleb understood that. You know, it's God who brought down the walls of Jericho. You know, they marched around the wall and the walls came tumbling down. You know, that, that story. God did that. You know, and you look over and over and over. And what God did. And, and I imagine David's thinking about some of these. Uh, God had intervened in David's life. You're talking about God's providence. David is on the run from Saul and he's hiding in a cave. 
And Saul is just about there, and all of a sudden a messenger comes and tells Saul, the, the Philistines have invaded the land. And Saul turns and goes. David says, hmm, God orchestrated that. You know, God is still orchestrating things in our lives if we'll, be attention to, if we'll pay attention to it. My friend Scott Pauley likes to call it divine appointments. For the Don, he loves to ask the question, I wonder what, God, what divine appointment God's going to give you this week with somebody who needs to hear your testimony of Christ. Sometimes we don't think in terms of that, but that's who our God is. And by the way, he can do that in your life and 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 in your life, all at the same time. Mind-blowing. But that's who our God is. That's why He's mighty. And David is thorough in his praise. He gives the theme here of God's greatness. Before we go to God and I time, I want to move to one more aspect this morning. He's mighty because of his goodness. Look at the moral goodness of God. He describes it there in verse 7. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. God is a good God. God is always good. Amen? Because God is good, He never does anything that's not for our good and for His glory. You say, even the hard things? Even the hard things. Look for God's goodness in it. You know, we've just come through COVID. Maybe we're still in COVID. But these last 18 months have been crazy, I think I can use that word. I told our people, I'm in my 41st year of ministry. I never had to make decisions before like we've had to make during these last 18 months. You have had to make decisions. You've had to experience things. Some of you have lost loved ones through all this. But there's been some good that's come out of it. You know, we're, we're a small church. I showed you way out in the country. We put in a new sound system about six months before COVID hit. And I encouraged our deacons. I said, let's go ahead and put in a video projector or a camera so we can record our service. We're so far out in the country, you can't live stream. Live stream is what's running through the, the, the back of the property. But we can record it and post it later. The men said, oh, no, 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 we don't need to do that. I was trying to encourage them, let's have online giving. We don't need that, preacher. You know, first deacons meeting after COVID hit, my deacons are saying, Pastor, why don't we have video? <laughs> you know, guys, that's a great idea. Pastor, why don't we have online giving? Another great idea. You know, it's their idea. It's good, Right? But our digital footprint, a little country church, has just exploded. And it all was because we had some mandates and some restrictions that changed how we do ministry. I think for all of us who are pastors, it's made us evaluate how we do ministry and what things are really important and what things aren't really important. Look for God's goodness in all the circumstances it allows in your life. God is a morally good God. Verse 8, God is mercifully good. You know, I could just spend all morning on verse 8. The Lord is gracious 
and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. I say amen, 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 and hallelujah. That's our God. That's my God. I jotted down thirdly the manifold goodness of God in verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. Would you turn to the person beside you and say, God is good to you? Go ahead, right now. Turn to the person on the other side and say, God is good to you. Now say, because the very fact that I'm sitting beside you proves that God is good to you. God is good to all. All don't recognize it. And sometimes we don't recognize it, do we? Oh, me. That's exactly right. Sometimes I come home on Sunday nights. You know, so-and-so met me at the door and said, just keep trying, preacher. So-and-so met me before the service even started. You're doing this wrong. I come home and I say to my wife, that was the worst message I've ever heard in my life. And most of the time, she doesn't say amen. (laughs) But I have to stop myself and thank God that he was good. He gave me the privilege of standing and opening his word and sharing it with people who were there. You know, sometimes we get folks as preachers on the people who aren't there. Thank God for the people who are there. Amen. I don't know what's going on in your life. But when we go to God night time, I want to ask you to spend some time thanking God for his goodness, for the hard things that he's allowing. One more aspect of his goodness, the meaningful goodness. We see that in verse 10. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. All. What does all mean? All All means all, and that's all all means. Every single one, every single aspect of God's work in our lives is good we ought to praise him for all the saints worship the lord of creation revelation chapter 4 verse 11 worship him as the lamb of calvary revelation 5 verse 8 worthy is the lamb that indeed was slain god is great amen Amen. god is good What does that mean for you and me? I jotted down four words, and I'd like you to put them there on your outline. It should produce an attitude of appreciation, an attitude of reverence, an attitude of adoration, and an attitude of submission. When we understand who God is, we want to adore Him. We want to revere Him. We want to appreciate him, and we need to submit ourselves to him. Well, of course, we sing with our kids, 
My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his. The rivers are his. The stars are his handiwork too. I'm looking at my wife to make sure I get the words right. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. My wife teaches that to our children at Bible school. And they sing that and then as they sing it the second time, they holler out loud and they point, for you. And I want to tell you this morning, God is great. God is good for you. 